0: Welcome again. Um, I want to, this morning we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit from Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 22, really the verse 21. Um, what we've done over the last several weeks is go through the first few um, verses, first few chapters of Luke, and we've got to see all the stuff that comes with the traditional Christmas story. And you know, the Magnificat with Mary and her blessings and, and all those kind of things, what we want to do is we want to move just a little bit forward and talk about you, something that a lot of people just skip right after the, the birth of Jesus, and so we're going to touch on that. First thing I'd like to do is uh, read something that John Hughes sent me this morning, and so can you show me that slide, Byron, where he, where he is this morning? Hello. So that, that's where John Hugh is. And so we're going <clears> to. <throat> says, This is a quote from John Piper that he sent me along with the photograph. It says, We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon or Lake Tahoe to increase his self esteem. We go there because greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than beholding ourselves. What could be more ludicrous in a vast, glorious universe than a human being on a speck called to earth, standing in front of a mirror or a phone screen, um, trying to find significance in his own self-image? And so, we're going to kind of move, I mean, that's a, that's a great place. And so we're going to take ourselves back to not-so-great great place, which is Mary. And if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles back there on the table, which is Mary and Joseph. You know, they've been in a manger and they want to follow some of the uh, typical Jewish traditions. You know, it's very important for Jesus that if he is going to be accepted in the Jewish life as a Jewish person, that we know he's going to move on with significance for all of us that he undergo the rituals and that also Mary undergo the rituals of Jesus. Now, all of us think of really Jesus in, in two, two forms right now. One is that picture that's up there behind me. I mean, that's the typical. So when you're looking at forever rain, Jesus holding me in, in, in his arms, that's the typical picture that you're looking at is, is this one here. And one of John Hughes' focuses, if you hadn't noticed since he got back from Italy, he has been on fire towards getting people to move closer to who Jesus is and what he means to us. Okay? If you hadn't noticed that, it's, uh, it's really been powerful over the last several weeks. And so, yes, we have the Christmas story, and we have the manger, and we have the shepherds coming in, the lowest of the humble, and then the wise men being the very highest of the high. But what we have right now is we're looking at Jesus as an infant and what he means. And so we've all figured out at this point what Jesus means to us as an infant. It's buying Christmas presents, it's being stressed out of the holidays and trying to get everything done so you can travel with family, right? Wrong. So if any of y'all were here for the Christmas Eve service... The candlelight service very powerful, trying to move towards what Jesus means in our lives. Okay, the third person of Jesus that a lot of people look at as a young boy when he goes to the temple to, and he and he meets with the temple leaders as, as basically not quite a teenager yet, and they're amazed by all that he all his knowledge he has of the um, of the Torah. So what we're going to take a look at is that little time between there. So what we have is uh, Jesus presented to the, te- to the temple in uh, Hebrews 2.22. Now, let's take one step back to verse 21. So you all can, uh, can read that. It's a simple, simple little straightforward thing says, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the wound. So both Mary and Joseph, separately, angels had come to them and said, you will name this baby Jesus. One of the things we find out is a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people in here, but outside of here, don't know what the name Jesus means, like the meaning of Jesus. Anybody know? Anybody want to take a guess? This is going to be interactive. I'm I'm not like up here just professing to y'all. Anybody want to take a shot? Neil? God is, is salvation. God saves. Okay, so there is somebody that Jesus was maybe named after, maybe not, but has a similar name in the past. Anybody want to take a shot at that? It's a guy named Hosea, who, who was eventually renamed Joshua. So when Moses is taking people into the promised land, there's this guy that says, man, we can take them. We can take that land. We have the power. We have the opportunity. And all the other guys said, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. And so basically we're looking at a very similar thing. So you know, one thing i tell you, in, in my perspective, is a lot of people say, I don't, I don't like the Old Testament. It's got too much things in there that I don't understand. I really like the New Testament. But one thing that took me a long time to understand is I, I think of the Old Testament and New T- Testament as a piano. So when Tyler sits down there and plays, the notes down here on the bass end are the exact same, you know, A, B, C, D, G, whatever. They're the same notes Just different tone. And so one thing that we've been learning is that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when you look at Joshua and his, what we're looking is for a powerful leader, which he was a powerful general, to come in and save the people of Israel and give them the promised land. And so Jesus, with a very similar name, same meaning, is looking for us to save us from the world and reveal our salvation. Does that make sense to everybody? So that's where we see the importance of the name Jesus, okay? So we want to be sure that we we draw those. So Joshua was a man of faith and believed in the promised land, Jesus, man of faith, believed. Believed in us, basically. So now we're going to move to verse 22. It said, and when time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And so those laws are found in, in Leviticus uh, chapter 12. So one of the things that Mary and Joseph do is they come there and they have to make a sacrifice for purification. Mary, and also it's it's interesting, women also have to have purification as well. Um, women during this time period in, in this day were considered to be unclean. It, and they had a, a very specific ritual they had to go through. There are also, the firstborn son is considered very holy. And so one of the things that, um, they had to do was bring sacrifices to the altar to, um, for, for both Jesus and Mary. So they're following the rules of the law. It's Jesus has been circumcised, now they're bringing their, their offerings. Okay? It says, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Okay? So this is poor people. So by coming to the temple with two turtle doves, what, is, what does that tell you about the nature of Mary and Joseph? That they were poor. Because most people would bring you know, the, the most pristine lamb they had. So if they had money, they had to bring the pristine lamb. If you show up to the temple and you've got two turtle doves or two young pigeons, that means you're poor. But not only does it mean you're poor, you're carrying those things and you're coming in with your newborn baby and you're bringing those things to the altar and you are laying it out for everybody that you are dirt poor. Okay? Now, one of the things that we see around the Christmas story, what happens? You've got them being in a manger, giving birth, and the shepher the shepherds coming. Then you have what what other group of people coming? You have wise men that have what gold, frankincense, myrrh. So obviously, if they're showing up with two turtle doves and they're poor, that has to come after this story. Okay, so after this part of the story, and people don't really relate that very often. That. There's a whole sequence of events that happen here, and if you look at Matthew describes it, Luke describes it, basically Mark and John kind of just pass it over. But there, there's all these things we read, and getting the chronology of that is something that we oftentimes miss. And so I want to point out at this point that you know we'd have to assume that the, the wise men coming is after this. Otherwise they'd be sharing their gold and buying nice healthy lambs and those kind of things. So we want to kind of not pass over that. Sometimes the sequence of events is kind of very difficult to, to follow. So we'll go to verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and the spirit was upon him. So Simeon is one of those people that not very many people recognize the name or know what he did in the life of Jesus. Okay? We don't really have a great record as to exactly who he was. There's some references to Simeon in other parts of the, of the New Testament and, and the Old Testament. It's very much speculated. One of the things that is known about him is he's really not one of the high priests. He is a devout man that comes to the temple every day with expectations. Okay, so we'll read a little further. It said, This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So, he, when we're looking at consolation of Israel, what does that word mean? It means comfort. Okay, and so, the, the Jews at this point had been through a lot. Through their time in Egypt, through their time in the desert, coming to the, to the promised land. And now they finally got their home. And at this time period, who's there? The Romans, right? So you're basically, if you're not a Roman citizen, and you're in the time in Jerusalem, in this area, in, in Israel during this time, and you're not a Roman you're sort of uh, really a second-class citizen. There are some people who are in this time period that have elevated uh, status in the Roman period, but it's because they're just bowing down to the Romans and doing everything. So everybody here in this time period that is expecting a a Savior or uh, the, the Christ to come is looking for somebody that looks more like Joshua and somebody that looks like Jesus, okay? So, a lot of people are somewhat disappointed, but this man has been coming to the temple every day and sitting there and praying and watching out, basically watching the door, looking for the baby Jesus, okay? That is his whole thing that he's doing when he's coming there every day. And And to be honest with you, I've met a lot of these kind of people in my life, and I'll, I'll talk about one of them here shortly. The, the other thing is this thing about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes to people during this time period as a time when, like, if, if the Holy Spirit wants to talk specifically to Kurt, it's going to come down and talk specifically to him, Okay. During this time period, the Holy Spirit has not been made available to all of us like it is today. Where does that come come in to see us? In Acts, right? So, the Holy Spirit has been specifically coming down and 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 putting things on people's hearts, speaking to people individually. For us now, because Jesus goes from a baby to this form and dies on the cross for us, now the Holy Spirit is available to all of us when Jesus ascends, okay? But this particular thing, and so some people get confused about that. They say, well, if the Holy Spirit was then, how how can it not talk to us? But it was more specifically for individuals at that point. Now it's for all of us, okay? So, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit, in the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Okay, so now, he not only is there every day of his life, coming there, praying, waiting for this expectation, it walks straight in through the door to him. And he recognizes that. How many of us recognize that? It's very difficult. So for me, in my own life, when I go in and see patients, I'm a surgeon by trade. When I go in and see, see patients, I, oftentimes they'll come to me and say, "Doc, I want you to pray for me." I say, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that." I walk out of the room, and then suddenly, "Hey, you got to go here, or you got to go there." And what do I do? Sometimes I forget. Okay, what what I felt is if you feel that Holy Spirit leading on you, and you feel the place you should be in life. I became very strongly convicted that if somebody says, hey, Doc, pray for me, I've got to do it right that second. I just take time, I do it right that second, suddenly nothing outside becomes as important as that particular moment. So all of us see those moments like this in our lives, but we have to be able to recognize that. So Simeon is one of those people who... Recognizes that, okay. So he he is uh, now seeing Jesus, and so this is a lady and a and a guy bringing a baby in that's eight days old, walking in to the temple and saying, "Hey, we're here to to have our our newborn firstborn son blessed." And he recognizes that, so. One of the things we need to do in our own lives is be that same thing. Now, importantly for him, we assume that he's older. And basically what he's doing is he's sitting there waiting to die. He can't die until he sees Jesus, okay? And so first thing he does is he brings Jesus in, and he raises him up in the air, and then he says these next few verses, Okay? I have seen that in my own life as well. I had a patient when I first came to, to Jackson to practice 17 years ago. I admitted a lady who w- was, was dying and it was clear she was going to die. It was clear to her. It was clear to her family, everybody. But When you walk into her room, she looks at you and says, have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? That's what she says. Every time you go in the room, have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? For days. And it was just like, even if she looked like she was about finished, when you would walk in the room, she would suddenly perk up and say, have I told you about Jesus? Okay? I walked into her room, and she looked at me and said, have I, yes, I have told you about Jesus. And a few minutes later, she died. That is this. These kind of people, in my opinion, still live in our world today. And all you got to do is look for them. Okay? So Simeon, I have seen Simeon. We're going to talk about another lady named Anna. I've seen that person with my own two eyes in this day and age. Okay? And I see people like that in our congregation they're here working serving being models of Jesus all the time okay so now Simeon has the the baby Jesus up in the air and he makes this statement so how many of y'all think of a guy standing at the temple holding this baby up like this to the to the people in the temple most people think of that or most people think of the baby in the manger not this baby, okay? Said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. So now he's standing up in the temple in front of the priest, and he said, this baby is for everybody, Gentiles and Jews. You know, this is a a fairly religious place that thinks there's only one God-given people in the world, and that is the Jewish people. And he's standing up here with his baby in the middle of the temple saying, this is for both. This is our salvation. This is the Christ. He is for everybody, Jews and Gentiles. That is a bold statement for a guy who's just waiting for this moment to say this thing. So that he can die. Pretty amazing when you look at that. So, one of the things um, we know about him is that at that particular moment he's probably not that much different than all the rest of us. What are we looking for? Are we looking for the fastest way up to the top? Are we looking for the ways to prevent us from going all the way to the bottom? Those things, that hole in your life, whereas you're, you can be the most successful person in the world, I mean, you can have it all and still not be happy because you have this hole in your chest that can only be filled by, by God or Christ, both, okay? So there's been times in my life, one of the reasons why, I guess John Hugh picked, picked me or raised me up in this church to be one of the elders, is I've gone through about every bad thing that can happen in somebody's life. okay. Whether it be a house fire last week that, thank goodness, was stopped by my son with a fire extinguisher and not panicking, to the death of a child, divorce, death of a parent, being homeless, all those things. Um, pretty much just about anything I can somewhat relate to. During those time periods, the thing that I can only relate to you, your friends are not going to help you. They may sympathize with you or empathize with you. They may be willing to sit down and spend time with you when you're alone. But I personally do not see how anybody gets through one of those times in their life without getting down on their knees and praying and asking God to help you, okay? Whether it's some kind of tragedy in my life, one of my patients is not doing well, one of y'all in here is not doing well, that is the only real solution that I have as a Christian. To pray basically this same prayer, the presence of all peoples, because this is the point where he's got Jesus up, and he relates Jesus is for all of us, not just for, you know, this special group that goes to a big church downtown, or a big church out in Madison, or not for them and not for the homeless guys, not for somebody who, who needs something that walks in the back of this church, or all of us sitting in here. This is our first presentation, held up in the air, this is, this is our salvation. Verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will be pierced through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So, God is a prophet. What are we hiding in our lives? What do we do when we're by ourselves? You know, there is somebody or something that will, will see us. It's God, Jesus. Okay, This is his declaration that this child is the one that's coming for us to reveal all those things. So if you take the Magnificat, which we've been looking at during the Christmas season of Mary's blessing of being the uh, mother of Jesus, what we're next looking at it's somebody telling us, yeah, you've been happy and you've been blessed, but you're fixing to be go through a lot of misery in your life. And it's even going to be so bad that you're going to be pierced through the side during this time period, okay? And I bet Mary and Joseph are going, that doesn't sound good. Because everything else they've had has been coming through in their life, right? All this stuff they said, this is going to happen, this is going to happen to you. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have a lot of sorrow from this point on, and you're eventually going to get stabbed in the side. So, One thing I tell you is we we can know that from our own lives. At one point, things may be going great for us. We're going to get pierced from the side. But in my own life, this is the only place I have to turn, whether it be for somebody else or for myself or my family. So, go to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, advanced in years, who was a widow, until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple. So this is a lady that, even though she's 84 years old, every day, is here praying at the temple, working in the temple, serving the temple. How many people have any trouble looking for that person around? Don't really. You look around, you'll find people like her. She would fast and pray night and day. And then coming up to that hour, she began to give thanks to God and speaking of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So another person there, that recognized that Jesus was coming. So now we have these two people that have waited all their lives for this moment. Recognition is the real is the real thing. Um so one of the things in that Simeon song that you'll see that those verses in the middle when he's talking, a lot of people that is some people may be familiar with that, some churches use that as their evening prayer, their if you look at books of common prayer in other churches, that's the thing that's there. It's also something you may recognize in the future at funerals when you see them. Margaret Thatcher, when she died, this was one of the verses that they used for her funeral. So, All right, so I want to switch gears a little bit. As we're coming in to the new year, we're going to start you know, with John Hughes been on fire lately. And this been this deep message to uh, rise with God. We're going to be adding to love your neighbor. Is that okay? Part of loving your neighbor is loving everybody in this room. Um, and so, you know, when I talked last on Ecclesiastes, you know, we want to start making sure that we know what's going on with everybody in here and how we love one another, not only inside this building but outside. One of the things in our Rise with God time we're, we're talking about is reading our Bible. Okay, so we want to encourage everybody to read their Bible. So I just want to read you a little thing from Woodrow Wilson. And so whatever your opinion of Woodrow Wilson, it's kind of changing with history as people start rewriting history. We know he led us as president for two terms, basically Nobel Peace Prize winner during World War I, Okay. He said this, The Bible is the word of life. I beg you will read it and find this out for yourself. Read not little snatches here and there, but long passages that will really be the road to the heart of it. You will not only find it full of real men and real women, but also of things you have wondered about and been troubled about all your life. The men have, have been always, and the more you read, the more it will become plain to you, what things are worthwhile and what are not, what things make men happy, loyalty, right dealing, speaking the truth, readiness to give everything for what they think their duty, and most of all, the wish that they may have the real approval of Christ, who gave everything for them and the things that are guaranteed to make men unhappy, selfishness, cowardice, greed, and everything that is low and mean. And so when we talked about Ecclesiastes, we went to that verse in, in uh, Psalms that talks about what angers God. Okay? When you have read the Bible, you will know that it is the word of God because you will have found in it the key to your own heart, your own happiness, and your own duty. And I don't think there's a president that's been in our lives that can say that more succinctly and more plainly. Okay? So one of the things we're going to start doing over time is what it, what it means to be more like Jesus. Okay, so the things we want to we do is loving one another. Okay, the other is, is service. So we're going to move to a model here where we're going to be deacons um, more like servants to the church and not like executive board members. Does that make sense? And we, when you look at a deacon, you should be able to see that deacon and say, that person, if they're not a deacon, they should be because the way they serve here and the way they serve us in this congregation. So we want to be sure that around all this time we're looking at love and service among us, okay? And we want to engage people. You know, one of the the things that happened to me in the past, one of these times of tragedy, I was going to church. had just a horrible tragedy, and it was like, and forgive me, I grew up in Texas where things may be a little bit different than here. My parents' house, if you went in there in the middle of the night and you turned on the light, there were cockroaches in the house. And as soon as you turn on the light, boom, they're off in every direction, okay, to get hidden. Probably don't see that in Mississippi. That when I grew up in Texas, we saw that. You don't want a church or your church family, when you go through a tragedy, to be like when you turn on the light... And those cockroaches go, you want your church family to be the opposite of that, okay? And so that's what we want to build and continue building here, And we've been been building here is that when the light comes on to you, like it shines on you for whatever tragedy it is in your life, that people go towards that light and not away from it. So um, that's really all I have to say this morning. Just, I really appreciate y'all coming here the two days after Christmas. I know it's hard to, to be here and uh, it's a pretty good sized group and we're fortunate to have Will and Molly here because their church is not meeting today so we got to steal them and we appreciate y'all coming and uh, why do come on, come on up.